Every person has two heads. The human community is a world of two-headed people. Did you know that? James called this double-mindedness. At times we think and we act one way, and at times we think and act another way. I want to talk about that in this podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are listening to this podcast. If you want to read this article, read this podcast, the transcript, go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for, here's the title, How to Help a Double-Minded Person. I would love for you to read it. It is a 2,000-plus word article, so it's what we call long-form content. But you're welcome to read it. I would love for you to share it on your social media platforms. Take it to your small group and say, Hey, did you know you are a double-minded person like me? We are two-headed people. Let's talk about it. It would be a fantastic conversation. If you want to talk to me about it, we have public forums that you can jump on and ask your questions. For those of you who are supporting members, well, you can go to our private forums and and you can talk there. Did you know every year we reach hundreds of thousands of lives globally? This year, we will reach over one million individuals with the practical gospel of Jesus Christ. We help these people by providing practical tools and ongoing training for effective living. Through the written resources that we provide, like this article here, the audio broadcast to podcast that we have, plus equipping videos and interactive forums, the Lord is impacting many lives by the grace of God through this ministry. Will you partner with us? to help us to continue this fantastic gospel adventure. You may donate or you may become a supporting member of our community by going to our website. Go to our website and and learn how. For as little as $5 each month, you can provide practical tools for hurting souls. If you are a local church, will you support our missional endeavors around the world? Whatever you can give to help this ministry will change many lives. Thank you for those of you who have given, and for those of you who are praying about it, thank you so much. This article in this podcast is called How to Help a Double-Minded Person. You know the text very well. Listen to James as he talks about this problem This is James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It goes like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let, let him ask in faith, confidence, trust, belief in God. With no doubting. For the one who doubts, meaning the one who struggles with fear, and there is the tension, faith and fear. If you are lacking wisdom, then in faith go to God and ask. If you are struggling with the anti faith, 
fear. Or what James says here is doubting. He says you'll be like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded person, unstable in all his ways. Again, the title of this podcast is How to Help a Double-Minded Person. The text is James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. James understood human psychology. Now, human psychology is the study of the soul, Biblical psychology, we are the only ones who have a true handle on the study of the soul because we are the only ones who believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I'm talking about Christians. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. God, who created the soul, psyche, gave us the word concerning the soul, the logos, psyche, logos, psychology, the study of the soul. James understood human psychology and was not surprised when he observed odd behavior from his friends. Now, he had a little bit of an advantage because of his teacher, who happened to be his half-brother, and so he had some fantastic ongoing discipleship training. Do you know your friends have two heads? Maybe you can share that in small group as you talk to one of your friends. Hey, come here, two-headed person. Do you know that you are a human oscillator moving back and forth from faith to fear and back to trust again? Some days we are standing on the promises of God, and other days we feel buried under an avalanche of other things that disrupt our faith. We can be like the father with the sick boy. You remember how it went in Mark? Chapter 9, verse 24, where the man said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There is the antithesis. There is the juxtaposition, faith and fear. James talked about it as faith and doubt. Same thing. It will create a two-headed person, a double-minded person who is unstable. To varying degrees, We will be unbelieving believers until Jesus comes back. Perfect, uninterrupted faith is a great idea, but it is impossible for fallen people because of sin's encroachments. When I use the term unbelieving believers, I am really paraphrasing what the man said in Mark 9, 24. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe God in a salvific sense. He regenerated me. I have faith that is unwavering. I will never lose that faith is given to me by God. That's my salvation. I will be in heaven with Jesus by the grace of God. But the unbelief that I'm talking about is not about my salvation. It's about my sanctification. We are not entirely sanctified. Yes, we believe in a salvific way, and yes, we struggle in our sanctification. There is the faith-fear tension. I call it unbelieving believers. If God has regenerated you, you are a believer, but you will have bouts with unbelief as it pertains to your sanctification. One of the reasons for this faith-fear tension is because there are things in our hearts that connect to our fears. These are things that the Lord knows about, 
because God sees all things, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him, as we learn in Hebrews 4, 13. Part of fear's deception motivates us to hide behind our fig leaves. There are things that are going on with all of us that other people don't know about. These hidden fears, we are afraid. We haven't revealed these things to other people, and that's how it generally goes. And so you could be talking to an individual and not even perceive this faith-fear tension because they have kept it hidden from you behind their fig leaves. Now, God does know all about it. The truth is none of us are entirely transparent to each other. If you don't have this kind of unhindered access to your friends, and if you don't give, if you don't provide this kind of unhindered access of yourself to your friends, at least one friend, there will be times when your friend's actions will appear unstable. Their behavior will confuse you when they begin acting in strange ways. Now, there are two conditions that contribute to this kind of behavior. One, your friend has not been open about his or her life because they are afraid to be that open to you. And so you don't know it, and you see weird behavior, but because you don't know them as well as you thought you knew them, they, they are unstable. Number two, you've not been intrusive enough because you do not understand this aspect of human psychology or you do not care enough, for whatever reason, to dig deeper into their lives. Unfortunately, we are not as intrusive as we should be in our lives. It goes both ways. There's a reciprocation here. Your friends should be open, honest, and transparent, and so should you. And your friends should be intrusive in your life, and you should be intrusive in theirs. We need to get to the bottom of it all so that we know each other well, especially our fears, because if we don't know those hidden things, then we'll see their behavior, and it will appear weird to us, and we'll, not, uh, we'll be surprised by the double-mindedness. James is instructing us about the possibility of another life that exists inside of us, a, a manifestation of a fear-based person. And he's telling us what can happen when fear controls our heart. He says we'll be unstable. We'll have strange and weird behavior. Our behavior moves from stability to instability. Now, I want to introduce this or illustrate this, rather, with a case study, but I want to give you a big fat warning here because I know there are some people that will take this to the wrong place. This case study is a theological and psychological study about how fear morphs into other sin patterns that perpetuate dysfunction in relationships. This is just a theological and psychological study. This is not a counseling session. This is not how you would do counseling. It's not a discussion about blame, especially placing primary blame on the wife, Mabel, in this case study and how her uh, marriage went sideways. The point of this case study that I'm going to share with you is to help identify what happens in our hearts if we don't bring our fears into the light and if proper soul care does not happen. And so please understand this warning because I'm going to do a, a deep dive into Mabel's soul, but do not hear that I am putting the primary blame on Mabel for the demise of her marriage. Don't go there. This is not how I would counsel her. This is how I would teach a class about theology, 
how theology and psychology uh, intersect each other in a fictional case study that I'm about to give you. Mabel married Biff 21 years ago. Biff has had an anger problem most of those years. He's had a selfish ideal of how life should go, and when it does not go according to his gospel, I put that in quotation marks, he reacts with anger. Sometimes he would be volatile and accusative. Other times he would sulk like Naboth in 1 Kings 21, manipulating the situation through his silence. We call that the silent treatment. Sometimes he's over-the-top volatile. Other times he's sulking in silence. The end result is he has trained Mabel well. In a horrible way, he has. She learned the ropes early, knowing when to speak and when not to speak. By the way, I have an article embedded in this one called, Do You Know What Your Wife Is Thinking? I would really encourage you to read this article. Biff has been mostly unaware of what has been going on in Mabel's heart. He does not know what Mabel has been thinking. From his perspective, she was fine as long as she was not demanding too much from him. What he did not perceive was Mabel building a secret world in her heart that she wrapped with her fears. Now, again, I'll say this one more time. I am not blaming Mabel. I'm not putting primary responsibility on Mabel for the demise of their marriage. I'm just telling you what happened to her. As a result of Biff's anger, this is a theological, psychological case study, It's not how you would counsel her by blaming her. In the beginning, Mabel's secret world was mostly about fear. She was afraid of Biff, naturally, normally, typically. But as the marriage progressed and his anger continued unabated, her fear metastasized into bitterness, frustration, hopelessness, unforgiveness, regret, jealousy, and hurt. You can't go on in fear no matter who you are and expect fear not to metastasize like cancer. Other things, other sinful habituations will attach itself to that fear. Mabel did not realize this. Fear uh, Biff did not care about this. And these things like bitterness, frustration, hopelessness, unforgiveness, regret, jealousy, and hurt were soul-diminishing combinations for Mabel who had no portals to find help. Initially, she lost herself in women's ministry. But ministry is not a sanctification solution for a troubled marriage. Ignoring a problem by working harder for the Lord does not work. A prison of silence had incarcerated Mabel, and it was churning in her soul. Then, with seemingly no provocation and to Biff's complete surprise, she went off the deep end, exploding at Biff just before she walked out the door for the last time. Biff sat in my office dumbfounded. From his perspective, the marriage was good, though not fabulous. He worked hard. He provided for his family. There's another article on my website called The Danger of a Man Providing for His Family. They lived in the best neighborhood and lacked for virtually nothing. He was genuinely perplexed by her behavior. He was even more overwhelmed by her emails that laid out what seemed to be everything she had thought but never said for the past two decades. Biff said, I have no idea who this woman is. It's like she has two heads We have been married for more than 20 years, and now I believe that I married a stranger. Well, Biff is right. 
He is clueless about Mabel. He has made little effort to understand her beyond getting a handle on her love languages, also in quotation marks. He gave her what she wanted, but could not, would not provide what she needed. His attempts to care for his wife never went beyond behavioral modification or his commitment to himself to do better, which never worked. He understood her as much as he wanted to, and if there were things that would challenge his need to do soul care, he would not delve deeper with Mabel. Biff, quote, loved, end quote, his wife, but being caught in his sin of anger coupled with with her sin of double-minded fear complicated things too much for the marriage to survive. Their relationship gives a more profound and nuanced meaning to Peter's appeal in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, Peter said, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. James implies we all have the propensity not to trust God fully. He says when doubt comes, fear comes, our behavior will move toward instability. This problem is the human condition that Adam and Eve gifted to us as we are all in Adam. Mabel was not sanctified entirely, and Biff's anger exposed her hidden fears. It was a silent and vicious cycle in their lives. Biff would bark, and Mabel would cower. Mabel had much more awareness of what was happening to her, but she was afraid to entreat her husband, obviously. She was lost somewhere between faith and fear with no one to care for her. Biff was mostly oblivious, and her community and and Mabel's community did not know what was happening inside their home. Biff had the opportunity and the privilege to understand his wife, according to 1 Peter 3, But he not only fell on the job, but he complicated an already complicated soul. He rolled through his home large and in charge. And Mabel learned to toe the line, trying to keep him happy while silently longing for Biff to love her well. There was only so much silence her soul could contain before it overflowed into shocking behavior. Now, let me say one last time, I am not placing the responsibility on Mabel. I'm merely giving you a case study about what happens in a situation to where a person is double-minded. Because Mabel is an illustration of all of us, here are two things to think about when you are tempted to go into your two-headed mode. Every one of us are tempted this way. And so the first thing I want you to think about, number one, you cannot live like this. You cannot live double-minded. you got to work on it. you got to deal with it. you got to bring it out. It is impossible to live in an ongoing suspension between fear and faith without it negatively affecting your soul. Mabel is a typical example of a person stuck in this tension. There was a truth she perceived about her life and marriage, but she was not correctly appropriating the grace the Lord provides. She was understandably afraid because her husband was a super knucklehead. But what she was doing unwittingly, she was unwittingly pressing the truth she knew further down into her soul. 
And when I say pressing the truth down rather than appropriating God's grace, Paul talked about it this way in Romans 1.18. He said, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What Paul was saying, they push the truth out of their lives. And when you push the truth out of your life, there will be an adverse reaction on your soul. Now, this verse sounds harsh when applied to someone like Mabel, who is a victim of her husband's anger. I do not mean it harshly at all. Again, a theological, psychological study here. Carefully unpack what Paul is saying. The Lord is in opposition to anyone who will not reach out for his truth in their time of need, but chooses to suppress the truth while doing things their way. At the end of the day, now there are a lot of complicating factors here, Biff's over-the-top anger, the incompetence of the local church, Mabel was between a rock and a hard place, and, and you could say that she had no other choice but to suppress the truth, and, and that would probably be right. But nevertheless, by doing this, it has an adverse reaction on her soul. If you humble yourself and trust God's way through the process, he will provide favor. If you do not follow his way through the process, he will provide opposition. God says in James 4, 6, he will give empowering favor to the humble. We want to be self-aware. We want to make sure that we're not suppressing the truth out of our lives. Detach yourself for a moment from this fictional case study and ask yourself, are you suppressing the truth? Go back to what James is saying. If you're in need of God's wisdom, do not suppress his truth out of your life by not seeking it while clinging to your way of fixing your problems. Your approach will lead to death or the demise of a relationship. Mabel was doing what James said not to do, and she was experiencing a slow death by a thousand paper cuts. It first began as fear. Rather than seeking the Lord's wisdom, she suppressed her fear. What she did not know was how her fear was going to metastasize. As the years went by, a host of other sins began to attach themselves to her soul. I mentioned those earlier, bitterness, regret, unforgiveness, jealousy, anger. In time, this became more than she could endure. Even in the end, she did not seek the Lord's wisdom, but chose to leave her marriage. Oh, she should have separated from Biff, but to leave the marriage, there's another avenue that she could take. And so there are two things to think about when you're tempted to go into two-headed mode. The first one is you can't live like this. It's a biblical truth. The second thing is you must get help. James says if you lack wisdom to ask for it, this juncture is a crucial point. How do you find wisdom? Some individuals teach well, all you have to do is pray. That is anemic and unfortunate counsel that will not work well because that is not the Lord's full mind on how wisdom comes to you. Oh, prayer is part of it, but only part. The Lord has provided several means for us to access his wisdom. Prayer is essential, no doubt. Then there is the Word of God. We also have the illuminating power of the Spirit of God, and lastly, we we have the community of God. 
there are four elements involved in asking wisdom. One, you must do something. Two, the Spirit of God must do something. Three, the Word of God must do something. And four, God's people must do something. That's how you find wisdom. You actively do. The Spirit actively does. The Word of God actively does. And God's people surround Mabel and actively do something in this marriage. The Lord has placed countermeasures that have checks and balances to make sure we have his pure wisdom. This is a multi-perspective approach that keeps us from going into the ditches of foolish behavior. For example, if you act on your own, there will be temptations of self-deception and self-reliance. If you are Holy Spirit-centered without the counterbalance of God's Word and God's people, you could probably land in, in subjectivism. If you only use God's Word without the Spirit of God or other people, like in Acts 8, when the eunuch doesn't understand the Word of God that he has sitting in his lap, you may misunderstand it and misapply it. This is why we have checks and counterbalances. If you access the community of faith alone, the, the advice you receive may not be Spirit-illuminated or Bible-based. The wisdom of the Lord is needful, but you must access it comprehensively. What Mabel needed to do was drive a stake down in her marriage, like Gandalf telling the fiery beast, you will go no farther. She should have done similarly. One last time, let me say, I'm not blaming Mabel here. I'm just doing a case study of what can happen to any one of us if we find ourselves in a situation like this. Here is your call to action. She could do these things with love, grace, and the permission of the Lord. Yes, she's called to submit to Biff, but the Lord does not expect her to be a doormat. Wife, you are not a doormat. You are co-equal with your husband. You submit as far as hierarchy is concerned, but you also are co-equal. God does not expect Mabel to be a doormat to her knuckle-headed husband, Biff. By not sending up a flare regarding their awful marriage, she was not loving her husband biblically. Think about this. Biff was caught in a trap, according to Galatians 6. Mabel needed to send up a flare. That's where a co-equal partner will do. A submissive doormat will not do that. She needed to run to other authorities because Biff was disqualified from being her biblical head. She needed to find another authority, a biblical authority, send up a flare and bring people in on this marriage. If this is you... I want to give you seven things to do as I wrap up this podcast. If you want to read this podcast, the title, How to Help a Double-Minded Person. If this is you, number one, you must determine that you're going to seek the wisdom of the Lord. And quickly, number two, you must use all the means of grace available to you to keep you centered in God's wisdom. That's why we have these checks and uh, counterbalances. It can't be you alone because you could be self-deceived or self-reliant. It can't be the Spirit of God alone because you could be overly subjective. It can't be the Word of God alone because you need the help of the Spirit of God and the community of God to interpret it. And it can't be the community alone because the advice could be awful if it's not biblically 
based or spirit illuminated. And so number one, you must determine that you're going to seek the wisdom of the Lord. Number two, you must use all the means of grace available to keep you centered in God's wisdom. Number three, you must try to talk to your husband, incrementally revealing what is going on in your heart. Now, this point here, number three, assumes that he's mature enough to handle your truth. If he's not mature enough to handle your truth, you must find help outside of your marriage. Don't talk to a foolish man, even if that man is your husband, because he's a fool. You'll have to find someone else to talk to. But if there's potentiality, if there's a modicum of humility, yeah, you can talk to him. Number four, you must find a safe context where you can share what is going on in your heart revealing your innermost thoughts. This is what Mabel needed to do a long time ago because Biff was a jerk. And what she did is she suppressed the truth and and this fear that was hidden began to metastasize. And this is what happened to her. You must find a safe context where you can share. Number five, if he refuses to get help, you must continue to trust the Lord by seeking wisdom from others on how to live in your marriage. Number six, you must find ongoing care because the temptation to oscillate between fear and faith will be active. Like Aaron and her holding up your arms of Moses, you'll need the support of competent friends. You cannot go back into the prison of your marriage without help because you will default to the habituation of fear and all its accompanying and unwanted enemies of your soul. If you're in this situation, I want you to talk. Talk to us. If, if that's all you have, Talk to us. Go to our website. It would be our joy and privilege. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.